0: Welcome to the Higher Theories Conspiracy Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jamie. Today, I have two topics for you. So how today's show will go is I will start by discussing the who, what, when, where, and why about this event, then give my personal opinions on the matter. This one will be under the special event category. You can find us on Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. So this story features someone I consider a hero, Marvin Heemeyer. Marvin was born October 28, 1951 in Castlewood, South Dakota, making him 52 when this event happened. So Marvin moved to Granby, Colorado in 1991 and in 1992 opened his own muffler repair shop. He did well for himself, had many loyal customers including some of the local town officers. In late 1992-1993, Marvin had a dispute with the local town council of Granby. This dispute revolved around the town wanting to rezone the land adjacent from his muffler shop. They had approved plans to build a concrete factory owned by a guy named Cody Dochev, the owner of Mountain Park Concrete in Granby. Marvin would contend that the new factory would completely cut off traffic flow to his shop, because this new factory would be placed literally in the only entrance to his shop. Obviously, this being a problem, how would Marvin's customers reach his shop with no road to use? So Marvin did what anyone else would do. He went to town hall to request a service road be built to accommodate his shop. His request was denied. No info is available on why they denied his original request, but Marvin was determined. So he went to a heavy machinery auction and purchased all the equipment he needed to dig the road himself. Marvin would go back to town hall and ask permission to build the service road himself. You think they would approve that? Marvin said he would fund the whole project himself. The town denied his request. Marvin disputed this for the next several years, and in 2001, the construction on the concrete factory began. At this point, Marvin's career is ruined. His shop basically has to close down due to the lack of business due to the construction all around him. But this was just the beginning. During the construction on the concrete factory, the sewer line was cut to Marv's shop. Since the concrete factory was directly adjacent Marv's shop, they had to cut the line to install new line. Marvin was never informed of this issue until it was too late. Marvin would then return to Town Hall to inform them of what was going on. Want to know what they did? They charged him $100 a day for illegal dumping of waste. Obviously, Marv wasn't going to take this, but Town Hall always wins. So, it was going to cost Marvin over $70,000 to get a new sewer line installed around the concrete factory. Clearly Marvin, with the lack of business, wasn't able to afford the new sewer line. So at this time, Marvin is completely at rock bottom. His career is ruined, it seems the town is against him. What is he to do? Marvin one day has an idea while sitting in his hot tub at home. An idea, he says, God put him on this earth to complete. So Marvin does what we all wish we could do. The best stick-it-to-the-man story. He built the Killdozer. The next 18 months of Marv's life was spent preparing for this special day. Marvin sold his muffler shop and most of his tools. He sold most of the equipment he purchased to build the road. He even sold his snowmobiles, which Marvin was known for disappearing for weeks on end on snowmobile trips. There was one thing that Marvin had trouble selling, a Komatsu D355A bulldozer. This thing was huge at 13 feet tall, 30 feet long, and weighed over 97,000 pounds. This dozer had a max speed of 7.9 miles per hour, or 13 kilometers an hour pushing 410 horsepower so it wasn't the fastest thing out there of course but this thing was powerful and big so marv thought that since this dozer didn't sell his plan was really meant to be because this dozer was the star of his original plan marvin would then rent out the muffler shop he had just sold to the gentleman he sold it to Marvin would take this dozer and upgrade the shit out of it inside the rented out muffler shop. Marvin would take two giant sheets of steel and weld them together with a one foot gap between them. He would then pour quick drying cement in the gap to fill the steel slabs. A small shop hoist was used to hoist three foot thick steel concrete plates to be added to the sides, top, front and back of this dozer. This thing looked like an old-fashioned castle on wheels. Marvin installed cameras on the outside of his dozer so he could see where he was going when he needed to drive it. These cameras had a bulletproof glass case surrounding them. He installed air compressors above the camera cases with a valve in the cab of the dozer. Marv would be able to open the valve and it would blow compressed air on the glass covers and blow any dust or debris off the camera. He had three monitors in the cabin of the dozer so he could view the cameras live. Speaking of bulletproof glass, Marv replaced every piece of regular glass on the dozer for it. Front windshield, bulletproof glass, sides, everything. Marvin would cut small portholes in the sides and rear of the dozer, just big enough that he could stick his 50 cal rifle out if needed. The top cap of this dozer was made of the same steel concrete mix the sides were, but this top cap was a little thicker, and Marv even needed a small shop hoist to lift the top cap. Marv loaded the dozer with food, water, gas mask, and several weapons. So, after all these upgrades, the dozer was now 6 feet wider and 6 feet taller. Marvin's dozer now weighed a whopping 122,000 pounds, or 61 tons. That's an increase of over 20,000 pounds of reinforcements and upgrades. This castle on wheels was something only out of storybooks, but Marvin made this with his own bare hands. Marvin's plan was coming to life, and no one knew a thing. Marvin was surprised no one had caught him building this machine he did have one insurance company stop by to look around and they asked Marv what was under the tarps, and he said he was working on a new diesel engine cooling system. So now, Marv's dozer is complete with all the upgrades he needs. Marv heads to bed. June 4th, 2004. Marv wakes up and proceeds to do his regular daily routine. After a few hours, Marv would then return to his rented muffler shop. Marv would climb into his new dozer, grab the crane controller, and lower the top cap onto the dozer. Basically entombing himself inside the machine. He turned the key, started the dozer, and proceeded to then drive right through the wall of the muffler shop. I want to say he did that because he was at rock bottom, but it was probably because the dozer was way too wide to fit through any door of the shop. This is the start of what's now known as the Killdozer Rampage. The concrete plant was obviously first on Marv's hit list. He drove straight for the plant, and when he got there, he drove right into the side of the wall. In and out, Marvin would continue to destroy this factory. Of course, by this time, the workers of the plant have noticed what's going on, so they run over and get Cody Dochev, the owner of the concrete plant. Cody instantly knew it was Marv and wanted to stop this madness. So Cody would go and get his own loader from the factory and tried to ram into Marv's dozer. Now, Cody's loader was a lot smaller, so it didn't do anything. The only thing that happened was Cody hit Marv so hard that Cody was sent flying into his own windshield and knocked himself out. Marv realizing what happened, sticks his 50 cal rifle out the portholes he had cut out and starts shooting at the bucket of Cody's loader. No bullets ever hit Cody because after a few rounds, Cody woke up and ran like a bat out of hell for cover. Marv would then continue to level more of the walls of the factory. After dealing with the concrete factory, Marv then turned his dozer towards the town and started the slow crawl. Marv would get to town and proceed to destroy 13 buildings, all owned or controlled by town hall members. Some of these buildings included the town hall itself, the former mayor's house, the library, and many more. The former mayor didn't live in the house at the time, but his widow mother did. After the demolition of the concrete factory, people had a sense of who his targets would be. So when the dozer was headed towards the house, the former mayor's mother was notified and was able to vacate the building before Marv crashed into the front of it, completely leveling the house. Building after building, Marv would ram the front, the sides, and tore down anything he could with his dozer. At one point, the town got a grater, a machine they used to scrape down the roads. This thing is pretty big itself. But Marv's dozer pushed this grader aside with ease. It didn't stand a chance. The town was worried they had nothing that would stop Marv. They debated bringing in the military with an Apache helicopter loaded with a missile to take down Marv's dozer. But they agreed the damage and possible casualties would not be worth it. The last building Marv would destroy was Gamble's Hardware. Ramming into the sides of the store, peeling off the left side wall the roof collapsing. One thing about gambles Marv didn't know was it had a basement level. So as Marv is traveling through the left side wall of the building, his right track fell into the basement and Marv became stuck. Tipping at a small angle into the basement, Marv was unable to move his dozer. Forwards and backwards he tried over and over. After several minutes of being stuck, Marv realized he wasn't going anywhere. With his goal of destroying the lives of everyone who had wronged him in the past, Marv was satisfied. He took out his 357 revolver, stuck it in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. Officers were able to hear the shot from outside the dozer, and started to think maybe Marv killed himself. With no sound coming from the now-off dozer. Officers started their attempt at getting in this castle on tracks. Explosives were used first. They detonated a few breech charges on the top cap which did nothing to assist them in getting inside. One officer was quoted saying, well, if he isn't dead, he is now. In the end, an oxy-settling cutting torch was used to cut through the steel to access the inside. When officers looked inside, they seen Marv slumped over with a fatal gunshot wound to the head. Around 2 a.m. on June 5th, the next day, was when they were finally able to pull Marv's body out of his dozer. Marv's rampage lasted two hours and seven minutes. A total of zero deaths were caused by Marv's rampage. It was said by a few that it seemed Marv paid attention to not hurt anyone but himself. A total of $7 million in damages was recorded, including repairing buildings and roads. The killdozer was scrapped and sold for scrap metal. It was so no one could put the machine in some type of museum. Marv's burial location is not available, but I am assuming it would be with his parents, buried in Bemise, Dual County, South Dakota, USA. So that's the story of Marvin Heemeyer and his killdozer Rampage. Some know him to be a hero. Some claim he was overreacting and put everyone's lives in danger. What do you think? There is a documentary called Tread about this event. It can be found on Netflix. What do you think? What would you have done? Would you have done the same? Let us know. We would love to hear your thoughts. Personal theories? Like I said, I personally think it was a heroic act. Having this, the town come down on him time after time would really put a damper on your life. And once your career is ruined, and then once your life is ruined, what else are you to do? Turn over and take it? Move out? Start over? Or take a rampage on anybody that's wronged you in the past? I'm not saying that what he did well i mean i am saying what he did i prove. i don't think he had any ill intentions other than to harm who had harmed him but not take their lives just what they had if that makes sense so those are my thoughts on the june 4th killdozer rampage by marvin Meyer. so now topic number two understanding of planet Earth comes from thousands of years of research. Countless scientists have devoted their life to uncover the facts of the planet we reside on as humans. Some theories, like the Big Bang Theory, are quite new, only discovered roughly a century ago. Other theories, like the idea the Earth is a sphere, originated in ancient Greece over 2,000 years ago. One of these great minds who had a hunch the Earth was a sphere was a man named Pythagoras. That hunch has now defined what most of us see the Earth as, a sphere. But what if Pythagoras was wrong all along? Welcome to the Higher Theories Podcast. Dive deep with us as we discuss current and past conspiracy theories, special events, and everything strange. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere you find your favorite podcast. We continue to be ad-free, so if you'd like to help us out, a quick five-star rating or like would help out greatly. Today's episode, Flat Earth. How today's episode will go is we will discuss the story of Flat Earth, where it came from, current tests that have been done to prove the earth is flat and then wrap it up with our personal theories. Enjoy today's show, and thank you for listening. Pythagoras of Samos, born 570 BC as the son of Machinaros, a gem engraver on the island of Samos. Pythagoras was a Greek philosopher and founder of Pythagoreanism. Back in the time of Pythagoras, there were four major tribes the Greeks divided themselves into. Pythagoras was part of the Ionians; the other three being Dorleans, Aerolians, and Achians. Some of his teachings would influence the minds of individuals like Plato, Aristotle, and eventually his teachings would shape the world as we know it now. But even before Pythagoras has this idea, long before he had this idea, The common thought was that the earth was flat, or a disk. This thought process dates back to ancient Mesopotamia, almost 3000 years before Pythagoras. Back then tribes wrote about the flat earth on stone tablets we have found today. These stories, written in cuneiform, created around 3100 BC, have been thought to be the oldest stories in the world. The story start by describing the Earth as a flat disk floating in an ocean of water, the sky and sun enclosing the Earth acting as a dome. The Earth was also thought to be the center of the universe. This belief was common until roughly the 5th century. It wasn't until Aristotle came around that proof for a spherical Earth was introduced. He did this by observing the stars. He realized that as he traveled, the stars would move higher or lower in the night sky, depending if he was traveling north or south. He concluded this was only possible with a spherical Earth. He also noted that the shadows the Earth would cast on other celestial bodies were round. A fellow by the name of Eratosthenes conducted an experiment in 200 BC he used the info he had that in Syene, about 700 miles away from him, the shadows would disappear at noon. Being in Alexandria, he used this info and placed a stick in the ground and waited for noon. As noon came, the shadow still measured about 7 degrees. If the earth was flat, all the sun's rays would hit the earth at the same angle. To account for the shadows not disappearing, the surface of the earth must be curved. Many Greek scholars wrote of their discoveries while sailing. They noted that mountain ranges in cities they were nearing would rise from the horizon as they got closer. The only explanation they had was that the earth was curved. These philosophies were held high and soon had spread across the earth. Across Europe and Asia, this was the common idea. It wasn't long until this belief was held worldwide. The theory that the Earth was a sphere continued throughout the world, and many scholars and scientists did a ton of experiments to prove the Earth was a sphere. But one experiment proved to be possibly the most definitive. In 1519, a man named Ferdinand Magellan set sail to be the first person to circumnavigate the Earth. This mission, now known as the Magellan Expedition, is widely known as one of the most important events in history. Ferdinand Magellan was a Portuguese explorer. In 1519, he set out on a trip to find the Spice Islands. He was to lead a fleet of five ships, operated by 270 sailors, with inventory for two years. The journey would prove to be more difficult than they thought filled with battles, mutiny, and death. They left Spain on September 20, 1519, and shortly discovered a strait that would allow them to pass through the southern tip of South America into the Pacific Ocean. After they crossed the Pacific, they landed in the Philippines, where Magellan would meet his fate by a poison arrow, at the hands of the natives in 1521. After his death and the loss of all but one ship, 18 men, now led by Spanish navigator Juan Sebastian Elcano, decided to return to Spain through the Indian Ocean and up the Atlantic. This would lead to them fully circumnavigating the globe. Since then, dozens of sailors have done expeditions around the globe. Some notable ones would be in 1577 Francis Drake made the adventure, and Robert Fitzroy between 1826 and 1836. In 2017, Francis Gabart set the record for the fastest circumnavigation of the planet – 42 days, 16 hours, and 40 minutes – along with airlines who circumnavigate the globe daily. Since then, photographic evidence from NASA has proven the shape of the Earth with the Apollo 11 mission on July 16, 1969. Which, if you want to hear more about that, check out our episode we did on the moon landing. During the mission, they had photos and video evidence of the Earth, both from the moon and from the Apollo 11 spaceship. To this day, the moon landing signifies achievement and nation pride. But what was the point? Is that exactly what they wanted you to think? Or was there something they wanted to hide by providing proof of the Earth's shape? Modern Flat Earth believers sometimes referred to as Flat Earthers, but some take offense to that title, so we will refer to them as members of the Flat Earth Society. The International Flat Earth Research Society, founded by Samuel Shenton in 1956, It was created to reach members of the public before they subscribed to the belief that the earth was flat. A short-lived ownership was taken over by a man named Charles K. Johnson. Following a fire at the facility's headquarters in California and Johnson's death, the group declined and almost fizzled away. But in 2004, a man named Daniel Shenton revived the society, but as a website. Since then, sites such as Google, YouTube, and many forums have provided a space for members of the Flat Earth Society to discuss, experiment, and have a generally easier time to connect with like-minded people and reinforce their beliefs. Many members of the Flat Earth Society describe the Earth as a flat disk. They describe the perimeter of the earth as a frozen wasteland where no public is allowed access and is guarded by the government and military. On the other side of a massive 100-foot wall of ice is the edge of the earth into space. If you were to walk off this edge, well, you couldn't. They state there's a glass dome covering the earth. Inside this dome is the clouds, sun, our sky, and the moon. The sun is said to be measured as a 32-mile-wide spotlight moving in circles, 3,100 miles above the Earth. It is said this spotlight lights up different portions of the Earth in a 24-hour clock. Members of the Flat Earth Society also state there must be an invisible anti-moon that would explain the obscuring of the moon during lunar eclipses. Gravity is not the same as on a spherical earth. Members state the belief that the disk travels upwards in space at a rate of 32 feet per second. This belief means that objects do not fall downward to the earth, but the earth travels up to the object. They have not yet concluded on what lies under the earth, but most speculate it to be comprised of rocks. A few notable experiments in the recent years to prove that the earth is a flat disk, have proven to yield few results. In a recent documentary on Netflix, Behind the Curve, it dives into the Flat Earth theory and interviews members of the Flat Earth Society. During the documentary, a man named Joran Campanella had a plan. He would use two boards, both with a hole drilled in them at the height of 17 feet above sea level. He had another fellow by the name of Henrik hold the second board at a distance of 1.5 miles, and at the same height of 17 feet above sea level. If the earth was flat, Duran would see the light of the torch through the hole. If the earth was round, Henrik would need to hold the torch up at 23 feet above sea level for Duran to see it. When Henrik held the torch up, Duran did not see any light through the hole. He radioed to Henrik and confirmed the light was held at 17 feet above sea level. Duran then asked Henrique to hold the torch up higher at the 23 foot mark. When he held the torch up, Duran then saw the light. Perplexed, Duran's only response was, that's interesting. In 2018, Shaquille O'Neal said on his podcast that he claimed the Earth is flat. He is quoted saying, the Earth is flat to me. I do not go up and down at a 360 degree angle, and all that stuff about gravity. Have you looked outside, Atlanta these days, and seen all these buildings? You mean to tell me China is under us? It's not. The world is flat." Although a few days later, he retracted his statement and said, "'I'm just messing with everyone. I'm joking, you idiots. But many claim Shack was just trying to save face, and he is actually on their side of the flat earth debate. Mad Mike Hughes, a 61-year-old limo driver, set out to prove the earth as a flat disk floating in space. He devised a plan to build a homemade rocket to launch himself up to the height of 1,800 feet above the earth to view the curvature himself. He had many attempts at this, building several rockets to launch himself. In 2017, he attempted a launch, but was halted due to permission issues with the Bureau of Land Management. On February 3rd, 2018, he live-streamed another attempt at a launch. A problem occurred with the steam release valve, and the launch had to be aborted. But, he had another redemption shot on March 24, 2018 he was able to reach 350 miles per hour and climbing to a height of 1,875 feet. He suffered a hard landing in the Mojave Desert. He had no reported injuries though. In 2020, while filming for a Science Channel television series called Homemade Astronauts, Mad Mike Hughes' parachute failed to deploy and Mike and his collaborator Waldo Stakes perished in the crash. But want to know something kind of odd about this? Darren Schuster, Mike's public relations representative, stated, We used flat earth theory as a PR stunt. Flat earth allowed us to get so much publicity that we kept going. He continued on to say, I knew he didn't believe in flat earth. It was a shtick. So that gets questions raised. Did he believe in Flat Earth? Was it just a PR stunt? Who knows, he's no longer here to help us out. So after all these years, and all these attempts, there are still debates over the shape of our planet. Is it a flat disk like originally thought some 5,000 years ago? Or does science and our current proof override what some may think? We may never know until we can all travel space and see for ourselves until then flat earth challenges our current understandings which will only lead to positive results the more we question what we think we know the more we understand it will always end in a victory if it's proven the earth is flat science will be proven to be less reliable if it's proven the earth is round it will provide the proof of science's reliability so i guess it's time for personal theories um, I personally think that the Earth is round, there's uh, there's not much to it. I definitely, um, been on a couple airplanes, went up pretty high, I mean I didn't see too much curvature, but I definitely think I saw some. Um, You can look up at other planets, they're all round, there's no reason that we would be the only flat disk in space compared to all these other round celestial bodies. Um, if we were to be traveling up in space on this flat disk instead of having gravity We would be at a constant rate, right? Which would only increase or would that stay the same because if it were to increase at What point would we hit light speed because if we were to stay at a at a constant pace? We would only have that Feeling of gravity until we reached that speed limit right If the earth was traveling up In space at 32 feet per second, we would only get that effect of gravity until we got to that 32 feet per second speed. Once we reached that speed, we would no longer have that acceleration feeling, which then would lead to no gravity. Things would float. So they would need to have a constant acceleration. But then at that point, what point would we reach light speed? If you have that constant acceleration, you are constantly accelerating. You need, you know, you have an end limit. There's just too much to um, prove the Earth is is round. We've gone on many space missions. Everything states that the Earth is round. So, I'm gonna go with this theory of flat Earth being 0 out of 10. Being completely false. The Earth is round. Those are my thoughts on Flat Earth. Thank you for listening. For more episodes of Higher Theories, you can find us on Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to give us a like and a follow if you enjoyed the show. A five-star rating helps out greatly. Thank you. Goodbye.